0: work in student ministries. That's, our, that's your filter. In fact, if you volunteer to work with young people, we're going to show you that. And then if you just have a blank stare, we're going to move you on to volunteer somewhere else. We're going to move. All right, so we're going to dismiss our kids for workshop. We like to cheer for our children here at City Life. Let's make some noise for our children. All right, I think we've got some name drawing that we need to do. You know, we like to do giveaways at the City Life Church, and so during the month of March, what we're doing is we're drawing five names out of here. You can fill out your name there before the service. If you bring it was a get out of jail free card. If you bring the the social media clue that pops up online during the week or on Saturday morning, then you get to put in an extra name. So five names are going to move forward every week, and then we'll do five more on on Easter weekend. And so out of the 25 names that Advance, we'll, we'll draw. We're going to do some other preliminary giveaways, but the grand prize giveaway will be for a $150 valued prize, and you'll have a catalog to pick from, like Bass Pro Shop or a spa package or Cine Bistro. And so we drew five last week, so here are the five. Juice is going to pull them out. That way he's responsible for, for, for who he didn't pull. I'll read them off, and then Jenna's going to write them. Dustin Stellman, Come on. <laughs> Woo! Todd Parker. Nice. Nice. Todd. Uh, Andrea Thomas. Come on. Three. We got two. We need two more. Two more. Oh, the anticipation of it all, isn't it? Rachel Carpenter. Where's Rachel Carpenter? Yeah? I see a hand? Do I see one? All right. All right, last one, last one for tonight. Barbara Blunt. Nice! Good deal. We like to leave these up here every week to taunt all of you whose names didn't get drawn, so but if your name did not get drawn and you'd still like to be able to come to something that's going to be a great time tonight and you're in the military, then you showed up on the, how was that for a segue? You like that transition? I know, I know, very professional. So the uh, the, the tonight, if you're in the military, used to be in the military, active duty, retired, reserves, any branch, there's a, a family friendly Texas Hold'em night tonight. There's stuff for the kids to do. There's, uh, there's, there's dinners going to be served. Even if you didn't sign up to come, it's right here. Here on campus, even if you didn't sign up to come, you can stay after the service, and they're going to have a great time. And so we hope that you'll stop and stay and uh, and check that out. So I'm going to open this. I know, don't be jealous. I know it's not right, is it, Kevin? Kevin said that ain't right. Uh, oh yeah. Because it's my birthday, and Jonathan Adams, my friend, we have a, a shared love for a Coke in a bottle. Not in a can, not plastic. It has to be in a glass bottle, right, Jonathan? It just, it's different. So when he came back from deployment, I gave him, if you remember that in the service, a, uh, a six-pack. The only kind of six-pack you'll ever get from me. A six-pack of Coke in a bottle. So he showed up tonight since tonight's my birthday, and I said I'm gonna drink that while I'm while I'm here. I'm not gonna break this open, but somebody got me some dark uh, chocolate with orange, so I thought I would put that up here too. That's just to remind me I'm after the service. I'm gonna enjoy that a little bit. So that has a lot of caffeine in it. So so this is what we call an old man's monster right here. So this is what we. What we reach for when you're, when you're 46. That's my, my true age. So I'm on my march to the big 5-0. You know, it makes my wife terribly nervous since she's 20 years younger than I am. So, So City Life... Monopoly City Life Edition is the series that we launched into last week together, and kind of the springboard for the series has been that last year in 2012, there was an effort to decide which one of the Monopoly pieces was going to be expired. Which one was it? It was the iron. I have it right here. Yeah, And, and so the iron, they got rid of the iron because they wanted to make room for the Wanted to make room for the cat, right? There's a dog, so you know, it's got to be, be, be uh, equal opportunity for, for the pet lovers. So, so, they, so they had to get rid of one. They got rid of the iron. So they, they decided which one is going to be dated. Which one of these pieces do we feel is a, is a little bit irrelevant? And you know this is, this is a, an, an old school iron. You would put this next to the fire. It would be heated up. So they, you know who does that anymore? We hope that you don't do that anymore, right? Because you can buy one that you can plug in. They work a lot better. And so they say, that's it's dated. It's it's we're gonna get rid, we're gonna get rid of that one. Now we understand this idea of 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 things becoming irrelevant. We understand this idea of of things having their their moment and then then passing by this week. I was had a lunch appointment and at the restaurant where we where we went, where where, there was a, a box on the table. It wasn't plugged into anything, it had a monitor on it. You could watch movie previews, you could watch the news, and at the end of your meal, you could actually swipe your credit card in this little box, little wireless box, and you could pay your bill right on the screen. You could order appetizers off of it, you could, you could choose what your gratuity was gonna be, and then out of the bottom of the box, your receipt printed out. Anybody seen those, right? So you know that's the future, right? When our kids, those kids that just left out of here, that's going to be their normative experience. We're going to tell them stories of how people used to come to your table and take your order, right? I mean, that's where it's going to be a menu that's, that's going, to be, it's, it's going to be a touch screen, and you're just going to be able to, to order your food. Just today, for the very first time, on my Wells Fargo app, on my iPhone, I got a card from a family member that had a check in it. I took a picture of it just today deposited right into my account with a photo. Now, I know some of you think that's magic, but right, so if if you do, right, then that means the world is passing you by. That's the the technology, the the, the whole idea of walking into the branch and depositing your check, that's, it's it's a dated, the the things are happening in this world, leaving other things behind, making them irrelevant. 2,000 years from now, we said it last week, we're going to say it every week this month, if Jesus hasn't come back, they're going to be aspects of our christian experience that will not change they are timeless and for us 12 of those are what we call the pathways scripture and prayer and worship and fasting and accountability and relationships gathering reaching stewardship generosity rest and service will forever transcend time and culture if you had a time machine and you could travel back in time or travel forward in time you could go to any country at any time since Jesus, and these 12 would be pillars to the Christian experience. They are timeless. They will never be dated. I'm going to date myself this week. I'm, uh, I got talked into judging a rap contest at CNU on, on Wednesday night, so I'm, I'm working on some of my terminology. I've heard Kevin say before, that's dank, right? How's that? Is that good? Yeah, holler at your boy. So, working on those. Working on those. I'm thinking about showing up as, as, as Pastor CeeLo. I'll get the stuffed white cat, the big glasses, and, and uh, because if I show up as myself, I will show up irrelevant to another generation. Are you with me? These will never be dated, Th- these are the foundations of our Christian experience. These are the things that as Christians that we walk in, they define who we are as followers of Christ and they transcend time and culture. So this is the big idea for this series this month. In fact, the only hope of our lives having any lasting meaning is for every other life pursuit to be secondary to these pathways. The temporal must give way to the eternal, We say you got to walk in the twelve if you're going to fulfill the six. And if you're going to fulfill the six, then you get to have the one. The one is Jesus' great promise we find in John ten ten. He said, I've come that you might have life to the fullest possible measure. And he didn't just give us that promise and hope we can figure it out and find our way there. All of his teachings can be boiled down into six great commands. Everything up rises in his teachings into these six commands where he said, Follow me, love God, love one another. You ready for the next one? Be therefore perfect. We like to say that one in the King James because it's more daunting, right? Be perfect. Go into all the world and be filled with the Spirit. If you're going to fulfill those six, then you've got to walk in the 12 that were just on that screen. I walk in the 12, I fulfill the six, and I can possess the one. And we want to be a church that teaches people how to live that out on a daily basis. We don't want to be a church that just gives you some ideas and some concepts that you can embrace and believe. That's part of our Christian experience. But we want you to leave these services on Saturday nights or Sunday morning in Williamsburg and have a sense of empowerment. I know what I can do today. I know some things that I can do today, and those 12 pathways are the doing parts of our Christian journey. Galatians 6:8. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction and the one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Now we taught on this extensively last week. You can get that in the podcast but this is an important verse for us because right here Paul is reminding us that this idea of eternal life isn't just for the life that's to come. It's for the here and now and we know that he's talking about the aspect of eternal life that's for the here and now because he's talking about effort. That's the metaphor of sowing. If you lived 2,000 years ago and you lived off the land you knew that you worked hard to survive and Paul's saying there's an aspect to Christianity that's working hard and if you work hard doing the right things doing timeless things like those 12 pathways there's an aspect of eternal life that you experience in the here and now the eternal life that's to come has only has to do with what Jesus did for you and I on the cross that's the doctrine of grace but whether or not we can bring heaven to earth heaven now heaven forever that's our, our 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 message as a congregation has to do with the effort that you put forward in your devotion as a follower of Christ Peter wrote it this way, All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. If we are going to take hold of things that are eternal by way of experience, then we've got to give ourselves to the practice that are things that are everlasting. So we're going to ask ourselves in this series this month, four heart questions, and four money questions as we examine two of the 12 pathways, generosity and stewardship. Now we started last week, we did a whole introduction to the series, and then we started with the first heart question, which is, am I I submitted? Not being submitted to a person or church, those are different conversations for a different time, we're just talking about living a life submitted to the truth of God's word. Living our lives with a heart of deference to the Father. Recognizing that All that we are and all that we have belongs to him and there should be an ongoing conversation. God, what do you want me to do with your stuff that you've entrusted me with? We love Psalm 90, 17. May the Lord our God show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, make our efforts successful. There is a lot in this life that's going to be free for you and I simply because God loves us. There's a lot in this life that we're going to find, we're going to have, we're going to experience because God's our Father, and He just loves to shower us with goodness and blessing. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. If you grew up in a, in a, in a healthy home, you know what we're talking about. There's, there's things that you earned, but then there was just things that your parents just, just enjoyed giving you just because you were theirs. There's a lot that's free from knowing God as our Father. But there's a lot of stuff, too, that we're only going to take possession of that's a direct result of the effort that we bring to the table. This idea of bringing heaven to earth, this idea of heaven now, this idea of walking in the promise of abundant life that Jesus has for you and for me, and it means that our character is going to have to break a sweat. It means that there's going to have to be some exertion on the inside. It means that we're going to have to do some things and give ourselves to some things. Jesus uses that great metaphor that he said that that anybody who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. What's he saying? He said, you've got to be okay with this idea that I'm going to ask you to work hard in this life. But if you do, like what Paul said to the church of Galatia there in the sixth chapter, oh, the harvest that you will have, it's immeasurable. So you might be saying, if you're new to the church, you know, I'm a little bit nervous already because I've only been here for one week, and they're already talking about submission and money, right? And that makes me a, I get it. I understand. So, so, so we, we like to throw this one out here because we like to follow Jesus' example. These are New Testament Bible statistics. Jesus had 38 parables. 16 of those dealt with money and material possessions one out of every 12 verses in the new testament deals with money and material possessions there's 500 verses on prayer less than 500 verses on faith and over 2000 on money and material possessions we introduced these things to you last week if you want to hear more about them you can get it on the podcast i forgot to point out last week anybody recognize this one anybody have this monopoly set this is the luxury version of monopoly in case you have a little disposable income if you do we like to talk to you after the service it is my birthday between $4,500 and $7,500. $4,500 to $7,500 for this Monopoly set, depending on how you accessorize it. Right? Wow. That's a lot of money, isn't it, for a Monopoly game? It's a lot of money for a Monopoly game. There's got to be something inside of us that asks the question, God, what do you want me to do with your stuff? What do you want me to do? So we're going to launch into question number three, am I cheerful? Now, we like doing this one after the one, am I submitted, because there should be a cheerfulness to our submitted heart. We joked about it last week. If, if you've got children in your home, you're not looking for them just to obey. You're looking for them to obey with a happy heart. You're looking for them to have a good attitude of walking in deference to your authority. And, and hey, it's a great start to just obey in our relationship with God, but He doesn't want us to stop there. He wants us to get to a place where we do it with a sense and a heart that is absolutely cheerful, that we believe that we've won the lottery because we get to do what God says. There's something inside of our heart that says, I am the most favored person in the universe because I have the privilege of obeying my Father who's in heaven. When it comes to stewardship and generosity, there's a great book, Robert Morris, The Blessed Life. If you were only going to read, I'm a little thirsty, Oh, that's delicious. How many people are going out and getting Cokes in a bottle after the service, right? Nice. If you were only going to read one book besides the Bible on the the theology of giving and stewardship and generosity, this would be the one that I would read. I've read it many times. It's an amazing book. It's not a long book. It's not a, it's not a difficult book to understand. And one of the reasons why I like this book is because he, taught, he, he teaches out of the life that he's lived. A lot of people teach on, on giving, but they might not have stepped into the place of generosity this person has lived out. So I want to read you an extended excerpt from this. It says, I mentioned earlier that when Debbie and I got married, our combined gross income was $600 a month. It's an annual income of $7,200. Now, after a few months of tithing and giving extravagantly to the Lord, Debbie got a different job that paid $18,000 a year. And about that same time, I began preaching and doing revivals. And that first year, my income from offerings was $32,000. Thus, together, our annual income went from $7,200 to $50,000. In our second year of marriage, as we continue to tithe and give whenever and wherever the Holy Spirit directed, Debbie quit her job in order to stay at home while my income increased to $72,000 a year. So our income had now risen from $7,200 to $72,000, a tenfold increase. Within three years, our income had risen more than $100,000 by God's grace. Now listen to this next line. And we were giving 70% of it away. And having the time of our lives doing it, he writes. Now, that's not the calling for everybody. The, the question is, are you having a conversation with God? What do you want me to do with your stuff? There's something significant to God about tenfold and a hundredfold returns. I've seen it throughout my whole life. Remember the story that I related in chapter one, which you're not going to remember that because you haven't read it yet, about the man at the pizza place who gave me ten times the amount I had just given away to a missionary. I remember one occasion in which I was at a ministry conference. I've read the story before. I read it last year in a large Dallas Convention Center area, arena. And we were sitting way up in the balcony sections, towards the back of the crowd of around 10,000 people. We didn't have very much money at that point, but at offering time, I felt strongly that God asked me to give $100. It was going to be a step of faith to give that amount. The person that was receiving the offering said, I want you to pray and ask God to bless the offering that you're giving. And when he said that, I knew that God was asking me to hold my offering up over my head as we prayed. And just as I did, a thought came to me, so I just prayed it. I said, Lord, I ask you for a hundredfold return of this offering. Not so I can go out and buy the fancy Monopoly set. Right? Listen to what he says. So that I can give even more to the work of your kingdom. I didn't know it at the time, but there was a man sitting on the arena floor up near the platform. And at that moment, I lifted my offering to the Lord with a heart full of gratitude. Come on, cheerful heart. God spoke to him and told him to turn around and look. And as he turned around, he noticed way back up. In the reaches of that arena, there was one person standing up with their hand outstretched over their head. God positions us, right? And God spoke to this man and said, I want you to give that man $10,000. Says later, the man found me. He gave me a check for $10,000, exactly 100 times what I had just given. Now, please understand what I'm saying. The money is not the point. It's the joy that we receive from giving. It's the power that comes from obedience. I'm not not presenting giving as a get-rich-quick scheme. Enough books like that have been through the church. On the contrary, I'm presenting you a lay-down-your-life challenge. It's good, isn't it? A lay-down-your-life challenge. It's this idea of having a heart that's submitted. It's this idea of living our life in a conversation of, God, all that I have and all that I am belongs to you. What do you want me to do with it? And when he says, give it, keep it, do this, do that, that there's a cheerfulness in our heart because we know that we have the privilege of walking in obedience to God. Deuteronomy 26, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. 11. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there or swipe there or however you get there. 26, 1 through 11, it says, When you enter the land, this is God giving commands to the Israelites. It says that at the the birth of a nation... The Lord your God is giving you as a special possession, and you have conquered it and settled there. Put some of the first produce from each crop you harvest into a basket and bring it to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. Go to the priest in charge, and at that time say to him, With this gift I acknowledge the Lord your God that I have entered the land he swore to our ancestors that he would give us. And the priest will then take a basket from your hand, and he will set it before the altar. You must then say in the presence. I'm reading this not because of what they do. That's going to come later in the series. I'm reading it because of what they're asked to say. You must say in the presence of the Lord your God, my ancestor Jacob was wondering, a wondering Aramean who went to live as a foreigner in Egypt, and his family arrived few in number, but in Egypt they became a large and mighty nation. When the Egyptians oppressed and humiliated us by making us their slaves, we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and he heard our cries and he saw our hardship, toil, and oppression. It's important, right, because they were living this life of obedience. Sometimes God leads us into favor. Sometimes he leads us into hardship. And when he leads us into hardship, it's because he's preparing us for the favor that's to come later. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand and a powerful arm and with an overwhelming terror and with miraculous signs and wonders just like we saw on Sunday night on the History Channel. He brought us to this place and gave us this land flowing with milk and honey and now, O oh Lord, I have brought you the first portion of the harvest that you have given me from the ground. The place of the produce before the Lord your God and bow to the ground and worship him. You get this idea? They're celebrating, they're worshiping, they're excited about this opportunity to give what they have to God. After you may go and celebrate because of all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household, remember to include the Levites as foreigners and the foreigners living amongst you. And I'm not going to keep reading. If you're a note taker, you can check that out. We love this idea that at the birth of the nation, God was saying, we want this nation to be known for generosity. We want this to be a nation that is setting the pace for generosity this nation israel was given the great privilege of re- revealing the one true god to the world and all the ways that they were to reveal him to the world were significant because they were firsts and one of the things that god says is i want to be known as a generous god and because you're my children you're going to be known as a generous people now the apostle paul picks up this conversation in second corinthians chapter nine. 2 corinthians chapter nine I'm going to start reading in verse 6. 2 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 6. It says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. And you must each decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Oh, it's a great word, isn't it? There should be something in our heart that says, I just look forward to the smile that I'm going to have when God asks me to walk in moments of generosity. I'm going to look forward to the smile that I'm going to have when I remind myself that I'm a steward, when I remind myself of divine ownership, when I remind myself that everything that I have and all that I am belongs to the creator of the universe. Am I submitted? Am I cheerful? Let's talk about this third one. Am I expectant? Is there a sense of expectancy in me for what God's going to do because of the life that I'm living? Now, now we like participation here at the City Life Church, so, so let's talk about a different word for a second. When, when you hear the word entitled, what are some things that you think of? What are some thoughts that, that come to mind? Kevin. That person is spoiled, Yes. Nobody here, this, I know, I know it's nobody here. Other people, other, pe- other people in other churches, right? right what else? Entitle, Nathaniel. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just people that are just, have a, a woe is me, like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, yeah, right, yeah. He was acting it out for us. Shani, it's good to have you here, come on. Nice. All right, somebody else. William. Somebody who expects something that they have not earned. Come on, that's a great. I haven't earned a great definition. Somebody else. I saw some hands. I see? Saber. Yeah, they they feel like the world owes them something. They they, they feel like that that. There's a sense of demandedness about their life. So one of the things that we talk to our children. It's one of the things that in the parenting class, if you're in that, that if you haven't gotten to that, you're going to get to it at, at some point, that, that, that we want our children to have a sense of expectancy for the, the good things that are going to come from us as parents, but we do not want them to have a heart that's entitled and you can tell by the tone of their voice, you can tell by the expression on their face if they're being demanding in any way. It doesn't mean that what they're expecting, if we can use that word, or, or asking for is wrong. It's the heart of how they're doing it that's of concern to us. And as parents, we're responsible not just for the actions of our children, we're responsible for the motivation that leads to those actions. And it's no different from God. He doesn't want us to just go through life doing the things that he wants us to do and not doing the things that he doesn't want us to do because we're following a rule book. That might be where it starts for us, but at some point there should be a love of virtue that surpasses our actions that are born out of a fear of consequence. There should be something inside of us that says, I know that my God is good. But even if I'm in a season of hardship, my attitude towards him does not change. You'll notice that people that carry an attitude of entitlement, their disposition towards you changes with you based on how good things are going. They're the fair weather friend. Some of us are fair weather fans of God. When things are great, we're excited. And when things aren't going so good that we don't like him very much. There should be something inside of us that says, I have a sense of expectancy for the goodness of God, whether I'm in it or whether I'm waiting for it. So Paul goes on here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's keep reading. In verse 8, I'm going to read all the way to verse 11. It says, And God will generously provide all that you need. And then you will always have everything that you need and plenty left over to share with others. It's great, isn't it? As soon as he starts talking about abundance, he moves right into this idea of generosity, right after he talked about cheerfulness. They share, the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase and increase your resources And then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. All right, if you've got your Bible, let's jump over to Mark chapter 10. These are important teachings here because if we're not careful, we'll slip into a mindset and a mentality that says that the blessings of God only come in the heaven that's waiting for us. For those that have made a vow of devotion to Christ, if we're not careful, we can slip into a mindset that says everything that God has for us, even materially, is going to come later. And this life is just a life of suffering, but that's not true. That's not what Jesus teaches. Listen to this in Mark 10, verse 29. Mark 10, 29. It says, I assure you, Jesus said, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields because of me and the gospel will not receive a hundred times more now at this time. Now we like the last part of this, but you have to remember it started with them giving things up. You with me? We, we, We like the blessing and the favor. We don't always like the road to get there. I assure you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields because of me and the gospel, which means that they're living a life with a conversation that says, God, all that I have and all that I am belongs to you. What do you want me to do with it? And sometimes he asks us to give it away. He says, who will not receive, if you've done that, who will not receive a hundred times. That's what Robert Morse was talking about. A hundred times more. And listen to what Jesus says. Now at this time, he's saying in this life, Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. It's a great series of verses that Jesus is giving because he's reminding us that, again, his eternal life, as we say so often here, it's not just measured on the time continuum, it's measured on the depth continuum. And when we live a life that's submitted to him, we live a life that's cheerful in our submission, walking in expectancy. There's moments where God will say to you and I, I want you to give, I want you to be generous more than what your humanity wants to do. But in those moments, there should be something inside of us that says, God, I can't wait to do that because it's going to bring you a smile. And in that place, there's also a sense of expectancy that when we live a life of generosity, there's generosity that comes to us in turn. It cannot be our motivation. You with me? Our motivation can't be that God is a slot machine. But that's the beauty of the favor of God. He says, hey, I just want you to know that when you walk in obedience to me, that you're going to walk in a place of goodness. It's going to be intermingled with hardship. But every season of hardship that's in your life, as it says in Ecclesiastes 3, it's a season and one day it will give way to my favor again. Psalm 27, 13, one of our all-time favorites here. I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. and We hope that that's one of the expectations that you have as a follower of Christ. All right, number four, am I content? You see how these things connect together? There's this idea of I'm submitted to God with a cheerful heart. And then there's this idea that I'm walking out my life with a sense of expectancy. But in my expectancy, there's a contentment to wait on him. You see how these temper each other? They they hold each other in a healthy tension. So let's talk about this idea of contentment. Can Can I teach you a new word? That's a lot of syllables. I better take something to drink. Are you ready? Pleonexia. Pleon This comes out of the complete word study new testament. The definition here it says derived from pleon which is more and echo which is to have. It is the desire for having more or for what one has not. So let's stop there. So every year for my birthday, I get a, I get to pick a birthday dinner. I pick the same meal every year. Corn beef and cabbage. It must be because I'm born in March, right? There's got to be some connection. So Vanessa every year gets corned beef and and cooks it, and then she takes cabbage, and she puts in some cloves and some allspice and some peppercorns and with some some small new potatoes all chunked up, and and she cooks that, and then she makes this creamy horseradish sauce with lemon zest. Is your mouth watering yet? It is absolutely delicious. And every year I get up from the table going, I really should not have eaten those last 425 bites, right? You just can't stop eating it. It's pleionaxia. It's this idea of, I know that I shouldn't, but I have to have more. There's something inside of you that just gives way to the moment, setting aside self-control, because your appetite has been awakened, and you just don't stop. Or, for what one has not which is very different from the first one. The first one is that you're in it and you're having it and you just don't stop having it. This one is that you don't have it and it contro- the thought of having it controls your life. Not, not in a sense of expectancy. That's not what we're talking about here. This, this is a perversion of expectancy, pleionaxia. This is envy, it's greed, it's avarice. It's to the degree that you would say, even if it means taking it from them, I'd be willing to do it so I could have it myself. Pleionaxia. The longing, listen to what this says, the longing of the creature, that's you and me, which has forsaken God to fill itself with the lower objects of nature. So when you think about Scripture and people all throughout the Bible, who are some people that succumb to moments of pleonicsia? Come on, somebody. Raise your hands so I can point to you. Tyler? Sa- Samson? No question. Samson. Somebody else? Saber. Judas. Absolutely. How? David. David. Yes, with Bathsheba. Somebody else. Who are some people that gave in to Pleonoxia? Anybody? Tyler. Saul. Absolutely. Jenna? Lot. Oh, come on. That's a good one. And Lot's wife, right? From Sunday night, History Channel. Solomon, no question, right? Solomon gives us Proverbs and he ends up in Ecclesiastes. Jews. Esau. Esau. Yes, the stew. Nathaniel. Adam. 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 Anthony. Abraham. Anybody over here? Don't want to forget this, the the side sides like Cain, indeed, Cain. Right? Now that you hear this word, you read this definition, as you peruse your memory of Scripture, you find all these people who stepped into these moments of Pleonoxia. Whether it be for having more of what they already had or longing for what they did not, and it took control of their life, and it was devastating. It sounds a lot like the wisdom that Paul was giving the church of Galatia that we read in Galatians 6. Hey, be careful what you sow your life into. It's either going to bring destruction or it's going to bring life. Judas, I think, is one of the greatest. I think Saber said that's one of my favorite ones of examples of all those is is Judas, is this idea of, of Pleonoxia because ultimately the sin of Pleonoxia is the sin of forsaking the sovereignty of God. It's the sin of saying, God, you've been doing a pretty good job up until now, but I think I'll take it from here. That's what makes this thing so devastating. That's what makes this moment so destructive. It's not just what you do. It's the authority that you forsake when you step into that moment. It's not just the destructiveness of the action, which it can be. It's the death that comes on the inside because you deny the sovereignty of God in your life. There's a, a great book, Understanding the, the Gospel, I think is, is, is the title of that. If I get that wrong, I'll, I'll tweet something out to correct that. But but in this little book, in this little book, it says that the ultimate definition of sin is, is denying God the right to rule your life. It's just denying the sovereignty of God. And that was the sin of Judas, I think, right? He began to realize The chapter of Jesus' life was closing, some would say, and we would say, especially in this month coming up to Easter, it was just beginning. Judas wasn't interested in a spiritual kingdom. He wanted a political kingdom. He he wasn't interested in in the eternal. He was interested in the temporal because he saw it as a pathway to power and prestige. And so you see him forsake the sovereignty of God, taking matters into his own hands. He stepped in to the very essence of pleonyxia. This is Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Luke 12. Read verse 15, and then I'm going to jump over. Maybe I'm in this one here. There we go. All right, Luke 12. Let me read verse 15. It says, Then he said, speaking of Jesus, Be aware, guard against every kind of greed. In the Greek, that's pleonixia. Guard against every kind of pleionyxia. Life is not measured by how much you own. Some of you need to underline that in your Bible or highlight it through your app, whatever you use. Let me jump down to verse 22. It says, then turning to his disciples, Jesus says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. For life is more than food and your body is more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any of these birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life. And if worry can accomplish a little thing like that. What's the use of worrying over bigger things? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? And don't be concerned about what to eat or what to drink, unless it's a Coke in a bottle. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your Father already knows your needs. Oh, here it comes. Listen to this verse. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. The timeless things that transcend time and culture. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and He will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid little flock for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom come on these words they just climb off of the page when we read them in moments like this and they find their way into our hearts and they give us life I'm going to invite the worship team to come back 1 Timothy 6:10 is a verse that many of you are familiar with that's the one where where Paul is telling his young protege where he says to him that that for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil Matthew 21 Matthew 21 I'm going to start reading in verse 33 oh I like this parable All right, Matthew 21, 33. Is that the right, there it is, there it is. Wow, the print in this Bible is getting really small, even with glasses. That's terrible. He says, listen to another parable. There was a man, a landowner, who planted a vineyard and he put a fence around it. He dug a wine press in it and he built a watchtower. And he leased it to tenant farmers and he went away. And when the grape harvest drew near, he sent his slaves to the farmers to collect his fruit. But the farmers took his slaves, they beat one, they killed another, and they stoned a third. Again, he sent other slaves, more than the first group, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenant farmers saw the son, they said amongst themselves, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they seized him, and they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to the farmers? I invite you to stand. Now we read that story, right, and, and, and we say to ourselves, how can they do that, right? That's crazy. Hey, why would he why would Jesus even tell a story like that? Who, who would do that? when we hear that story, we 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 think it's hyperbole, we think it's exaggeration, we think that 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 come on. I mean, did they really did they really think did they really think if they killed the son that they would get to keep it all for themselves? But in a moment of honesty, in a moment of self-reflection, we realize that that parable is really ultimately it's about all of us. The, The life that we've been entrusted with, the life that you have because you have breath, the life that you've been entrusted with, it does not belong to you. And the world has been telling you a lot of things about how you're supposed to live it, what you're supposed to do, what you're not supposed to do. The world has a voice that says this is just who you are and this is just how it is, At some point we've got to decide who we're we going to listen to. At some point we've got to ask the question, which voice is going to be the influence of my life? At some point we have to be willing to say, God, if you're asking me to lay this down and you're asking me to pick this up, even though it seems impossible to me, find in me. Find in me, a heart that's submitted find in me a heart that says, God, I want you to rule my life, even if at the thought of that, it means transforming my very understanding of my identity, the identity that I have embraced for years. God, may it be that for all of us here tonight, there will be something that would let loose in our hearts. There would be something in our hearts that would yield to you, There will be something in us that says this vineyard that I have that you have given life to on each of our birthdays that it is your field to do with as you so desire. And let me be cheerful in my submission. Let me be expectant for the favor that will come. And let me be content for what I have now in Jesus' name. Let's worship together.